You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. All right, good morning, America. This is Pete Mecca, your host for A Veteran Story on AmericasWebRadio.com. We're running about seven minutes late due to a technical glitch, and I think it was my fault, so I'm probably in trouble. But bear with us here. Uh, my guest today is a, uh, a patriot, a great guy. He's also a personal friend, graduate of the Citadel, Lieutenant Colonel Will Coleman. Will, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Pete. Glad to be here. Good morning. Uh, thank you, Will. All right, we're a little bit behind, but we'll catch up. First of all, Will, uh, what a great background. Uh, tell me where you were born and raised. Hey, uh, I was born in Fort Riley, Kansas, uh, in 1959. I'm an old Army brat. It's uh, Fort Riley's an old Army post there in the, in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. I remember that, and uh, I want you to tell the folks about your uh a guy named uh, Command Sergeant Major Raymond Coleman. Tell me about that guy. Sure, sure do. Uh, he was a hell of a warrior, uh, World War II, Korea, and Vietnam vet. He had 32 years in the Army. I call him a dad. Um, he adopted me at, at birth. Um, that's another, probably another story that we don't have a lot of time on. But, but he adopted me at birth and gave me his name and uh, uh, raised me to to love the Lord and to, to, to love the Army. Because if you ask him, he would have told you that his first love was the Army. And uh, if the Army would have wanted him to, to do something else, and uh, you'd have to find another guy. Um, his, you ask about, I always just ask him about war, because that's all I've ever known him to do is to be a soldier. Well, we used to help shine his brass. And he'd always say that uh, war isn't a pleasant thing, and you have to learn that for yourself. I knew that he would. He was in World War II in Korea and Vietnam, obviously, and he had bullet holes in it. But uh, he would not discuss it. You know, he would not discuss it. I watched all them war movies as a kid, and uh, but he would not discuss the bullet holes in him um, or his war experience. And even though we your tried, da- your dad had three silver stars. Is that correct? That's correct. After he had passed away, he had passed away in 1979. And uh, after I was in the military for a few years, um, I wanted to read about my dad. So I went and wrote um, to the archives there to try to get his military records and read about his, uh, you know, I knew he was highly decorated, but uh, I wanted to read, you know, try to find his citations, in which I did. And he had three silver stars. Um, he wow. was he was a hero. He was always a V device. Somebody's tapping on the table. A, he, he must have had some uh, ribbons on that chest of his. He he sure he sure did. He he sure did. You know. Yeah, and, you, uh, sounds like somebody's tapping on the table. Are you tapping on the table? <laughs> Could be that'd be me. I'll stop. There you go. <laughs> yeah, this picks up real good. Well, I've had ducks in the background. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, you have a unique background as a military brat. Where'd you go as a military brat? Well, um, kind of unique. Uh, we were as a little boy. I guess we were in Germany when my dad was stationed out in Germany. And then coming back in the early '60s, he wanted to try to have the the family uh, in one location. Because um, he saw how a lot of the other military brats were all over the place, so uh, it was important for him 
I'll go back. And we were in Fort Carson. So he did the tour there in Fort Carson and said, I'm going to keep the family here. He bought a house. And he would go back and forth. He went back and forth to Korea a couple times, went to Vietnam, and uh, just kept us all at, at Fort Carson. Um, that was important to him. So I kind of grew up right there at Fort Carson and Colorado Springs in the 60s and early 70s. And, uh, and you know, uh, your father, your, yeah, I'm sorry, your dad in Vietnam had, um, wow, something that, that was probably emotional. He was a body escort. Tell us about that and Sergeant Carter. Right. The uh, We lived in a small military community, you know, right outside of Post. Um, those familiar with uh, with uh, Fort Carson in the area, it's a place called Security. Um, right out, used to be outside of the B Street gate. Anyway, so uh, we had a little house there. It's still there on Bison Drive. And right across the street was a, was a good friend, First Sergeant Carter. And uh, we're still good friends with the family. And, you know, my dad was serving as a uh, body escort. He was a command sergeant major at the time. And, and uh, Sergeant Carter had had one tour in Vietnam. And then he came back home, you know, and they were offering, I think, bonuses and stuff. I, that's from what I understand. And he wanted to go back. My dad tried to talk him out of it. But uh, and then he went back to, to Vietnam and then didn't make I didn't uh, you know got killed in a helicopter crash because he was a part of a helicopter crew and uh, that that hurt him I, I saw my dad cry twice and that was one of the two times first time was with the, when my grandmother died and then when Sergeant Sergeant Carter passed away when uh, Mrs. Carter Leona Carter got you know when they showed up at her house you know right across the yeah. street from it and your father but, escorted his body back right Roger Roger. Oh, that was important. That was important to him, important to the family. Man, wow. All right. uh, Let's take a break. We have to go to a first break. We'll we'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. Please stay with us. Hi, I'm Lee Greenwood, and I am so proud that the Warriors for Hope group has asked me to host their first annual fundraising event to benefit St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen on January 28th. I'm looking forward to some very impressive people talking to us about social responsibility and the need to help worthy people with long-term physical or psychological issues. It's going to be a great show with a great cast, I promise. And hey, I might even sing. Go to Warriors for Hope website to register and donate to support our cause. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. And just to reiterate what uh, Lee Greenwood said, it's Warriors, the number four, Hope dot events tomorrow and it it is going to benefit such wonderful causes warriors to citizens and st jude's hospital both are are great and we really want your support tomorrow so at noon go to warriors for hope dot events and right now let's get back to pete and his guest pete it's all yours thank you david 
uh, well, you know, a lot of kids, they go to high school, they don't do well, and they get out, and that, you know, and that follows them all their life, that I didn't do too well in school, I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to make anything out of my, make anything out of myself, but uh, uh, tell us about your high school ranking, and, and tell something about the, uh, doing better. Sure. Uh, I'm not too proud, but I, I guess I am now. Um, about where I went to school, went to school there in, uh, in Colorado Springs, there at Fountain Valley School. I finished at the bottom of my class. I was a gym rat. <laughs> and I loved playing ball and and uh, probably too much, obviously too much. And uh, you know, I knew I was a, you know, I probably I was going to go in the family business. I was going to be a soldier like my dad. And uh, there did, wasn't much opportunity for me. And uh, I wanted, I didn't want to work at the Conoco, so I said. Before I graduated from high school, I knew where I was going to go. I was going in the Army, so I enlisted, um, I think, back in December of 76, knowing where I was, you know, I was going to, you know, I was going to go into the Army. And I signed up to be an 11 Bravo, which is an infantryman, uh, just like my dad, you know. Um, and so that, that's what I did. I knew where I was going. I was excited, you know, to, to branch out. And start my career as a soldier to wear the uniform, be in the family business. So that's, I did finish it at the bottom of my class. I don't, you know, I don't, uh, I'm not too proud of that. You know, I, I, I guess I earned that distinction um, <laughs> because, of choices, because of the choices that I made, you know. I and the choices you made, yes, sir, but the choices you made later in life made you the man you are today. Now, you were in the Army for a little while as an enlisted man, and the Army came to you and said, Hey, you want to go to college? Tell us about that. Roger, when we when I enlisted, the first week uh, of being in basic training was a bunch of bat- battery tests, you know, math and all this other kind of stuff. I remember all those skill tests, and I guess I did pretty good, you know. And then they had a green-to-gold program, and... You know, later on, and I, they still have it. I remember when I was on post, they'd always look out for soldiers to see which ones we wanted to, to see if they wanted to go on to become officers. And so I was one of those guys. I was lucky enough that, you know, they, somebody saw some potential in me. And anyway, so I got the opportunity to go to the Citadel. So that, that started that. Most of the time we were, you know, there's an 11 Bravo. We stayed in the field blowing bubbles in the mud. All everybody, all the support guys were back in the, in you know, in garrison. So, you know, I said, man, this is this is crazy. But anyway, so when they offered me a chance to go to school, you know, I uh, I jumped at it. I'd never never seen the beach, um, you know, and they used to ask me to go to Citadel. So I said, cool. I mean, I got accepted to go to Citadel, so I went to Citadel. And uh, give me your first impression of Citadel. Well, I thought it was a four-year liberal arts college with Rossi because I went to the Post Library, you know, and I didn't realize how what it was going to really be like, you know. And uh, when I got down here and all the guys in uniforms and people screaming at you and, and all the, the bald heads, it was a tough place, you know. But I remember where I came from, and I didn't want to go back as an enlisted soldier, so, you know, so I, I can do this. But, I, you know, so... That was my first impression. Well, there's a, these a lot, these two guys took it pretty seriously, screaming and hollering and, you know, <laughs> it was a beautiful place. I remember Charleston being so dang hot, you know, in, in August, August, and it was hot. 
you know, and uh, they didn't give us time for showers. The place was just, just, just amazing. And I was with a group of guys. Good morning. I still very close to. You know, I, as a matter of fact, I, my college roommate and I, my first roommate and I, we text every morning or call every day to make sure we're still alive. That's how close wow. we are. You know, and that's, out, uh, that's anyway. outstanding. That's outstanding. Will, um, uh, during your freshman year, you had to walk in the gutter. Tell folks about right. that. Right. It's all about privilege there. At the Citadel, when, when I was going there, it was all about privileges. And the, the freshmen they call knobs didn't have pretty much any privilege. We had to serve the upperclassmen. We had to take out the trash to the upperclassmen. We got to walk in the gutters even in the rain. Uh, the sophomores had a little bit more privilege, you know, because they could walk in this, on the sidewalks. You know, um, the juniors got to walk in the streets and the seniors got to walk across the parade ground. That was highly coveted, you know, that was highly <laughs> coveted uh, grounds. So, you know, so it's all about privilege. Where you sat in the mess hall, uh, who got served first, where you got to walk, you know, all those kind of good things. If you could put an elbow on the table, that was, you know, you know you're a junior. If you could, you know, back then you could smoke after second rest, you know, or sit on that we had the front three inches of our chair when i was in the <laughs> that's all you could that's all you could sit was the front three inches of your chair you had to square your meals i mean those are tough place you a lot of people lost a lot of weight freshman year knob year anyway it's all about privilege <laughs> yeah. it's all about privilege i still love the school i i mentor cadets um to this day mentored by too many cadets i mean so many of them but i would say not enough but Try to mentor the young men and women that are still going to the school. I have such a great love for them that a lot of them are going into the service of doing, you know, doing serving their community. So um, that, that's what we do. That's good. You uh, you mentioned you were 11 Bravo, which is an infantryman as an uh, enlisted soldier. And you tell your when you mentor these young people, I, you mentioned to me that uh, you tell them to learn something. Explain that a little bit. Right. The uh, when I went to the Citadel, I knew I didn't want to go back to be an infantryman because I wanted to try to learn the skill. That was important to me to to learn a skill and have some value. And as I, you know, learned stuff in life, and what you put down on paper on your resume um, really matters. And what kind of work that you did. And I know that you know I, I have a total amount of respect for all the warriors that are out there. Um, I, I became a logistician, you know, logistics. We pushed the, you know, past gas, beans, bullets, all that good stuff. Uh, I always tell these young men and women to learn something that equates to something that you can do in civilian life. You know, it's tough being a soldier. It's tough being a warrior. You know, learn something because the military is going to use you. You might as well use the, the military to learn a skill. They're going to, because they'll teach it to you. You know, when you look down on paper on a resume, if you jump out of perfectly good planes, some type of employers really don't, can't equate that to civilian life. So that's what I tell them. <laughs> learn engineering, learn a medical field, you know, uh, learn, learn something that equates to what you can do in civilian life and be successful that you can contribute. You know, um, heavy equipment operator in the engineering field, you know, I tell us to enlisted folk, young uh, men and women that are enlisting or if they're becoming officers, learn something. You know, be it, a, be it accounting, be it engineering, 
being medical, being logistics, intelligence, you know, learn something. And even if you do go into the combat fields, you know, if you go into the combat field, learn something else, acquisition, learn budgeting, learn engineering, use the military. And that's all I do. That's what I do. That's what I tell these young men and women, you know, as, a, as an old as an old guy that's, you know, learned a few tricks along the way, you know, I have, I've had a great career. I've worked for the Army for 40 years. That was my number, 40 years as wow. in uniform and out of uniform. Um, for those, you know, listening viewers there, the listening audience, you know, it was important to learn something. Because when, when, when I retired out of uniform, I went right back to work. On, I retired on a Friday, and on Monday, I was back doing the same job, uh, just wearing a coat and tie. <laughs> Outstanding. Cool. Now, when you when you graduated from Citadel, from the Citadel, you had your butter bars. You were a second lieutenant, and you went into a field that I think the listeners are going to say, "Did I hear that right?" You were in charge of the watercraft of the United States Army. Explain yeah. that. At one point, you know, at one point, I was in charge of all Army, you know, all Army Reserve watercraft when I was assigned in Washington D.C. Um, but I was assigned as a boat guy. We call them. Uh, you either in the transportation field, um, you either went highway rail or marine terminal. And I went marine terminal assigned to the watercraft field. Um, uh, and because the army at the time had more boats than navy did, we had a lot of lighter, lighterage, or air cushion vehicles, a lot of smaller boats, bridge direction boats. We had a lot of boats. And uh, so that's the field that I went into, was the, um, the Army watercraft field. Probably a, we call it brown water Navy. And the Navy right. and the blue water Navy were ocean going, and we were kind of like the brown water Navy. So uh, that's the field that I went to um, and absolutely loved it. Huh. Uh, most folks don't think about boats when they talk about the United States Army. Uh, I know you ended up at Stockton, California, and you got involved with that huge, massive oil spill uh, uh, by the Exxon Valdez up at Valdez, Alaska. Tell us about that. Well, I was just—I was a command of a heavy boat company up there in Stockton, Rough and Ready Island, outside of the Presidio of San Francisco. Um, we had a, a bit, you know, pretty good military presence there um, back in the eighties. Um, and then Valdez happened, and then uh, Three Star, the Canusa commander, General Harrison, was there, and, and they needed a. They wanted a, uh, an Army contracting officer representative up there in Valdez because we leased um, Army watercraft to help with the uh, cleanup operations. They actually used some of, of our boats, my boats, from my unit, um, as they put wash vehicles on the flat-bottom boats. They could pull them up shore and they could wash the rocks. But anyway, so they needed the contracting officer representative, General Harrison, said, hey, why? I got somebody right here. And so uh, I got tagged. You're it. You know how those additional duties in the military happen. You, you get volunteered. You know. So I got uh, I got volunteered to uh, go up to Valdez about uh, two weeks out of every month during the cleanup to do uh, um, reviews, inspections on the watercraft, and make sure that the contract adherence. So I would go up there, and I had a the Exxon gave me a helicopter with a pilot. And they would take me around to all the different sites, and I'd be doing technical inspections on watercraft, seeing how the checking the logbooks, taking oil samples, all that kind of good stuff. 
And you didn't live in a tent. Where'd you, where'd you live, Will? Um, there, if anybody's been to Valdez, well, especially at that time, um, Valdez didn't have any hotels. They didn't have it. So they had a, uh, a cruise ship on the, they had a cruise ship that they put a lot of the folks on. So I stayed on a cruise ship there in, in Valdez. They were building. That's amazing. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. You so said they were building something. Okay, break. Yeah, they, they started to build hotels as I was there because they knew they were going to be here for the long haul. That Ready to break. They were really wanting the money, you know, so they were doing everything yeah. they can. If you had a little 20-foot boat, man, you had that thing leased to Valdez. Everybody oh, had their hands, <laughs> they had their hands into that, you know. I could uh, imagine, I was, Will. I was just yeah, amazed. Yeah. If you And I mean that. If you had a 20-foot boat, um, they hired you and Okay, uh, let's take a break. Well. All right, going to our second break, folks. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, and I hope you'll make plans to join us on January 28th for Warriors for Hope. I'm thrilled to be a part of this virtual fundraiser for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen. These organizations do so much to support veterans, first responders, and families who have been touched by pediatric cancer. I'd also like to thank David Moxley and his show, David's Pick, here on America's Web Radio for supporting Warriors for Hope. And I know you'll want to join in and support this event as well on January 28th. So visit warriorsforhope.events. That's warriors and the number four, hope.events. You can make a gift and reserve your seat for this virtual benefit. Again, that's warriors and the number four, hope.events. Thanks for your support, and we'll see you at noon on January 28th. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. All right, folks, we're back with Lieutenant Colonel Will Coleman, Citadel graduate. Uh, Will, I know you ended up uh, at Fort McPherson in Georgia and got involved in both the Gulf War and the Panama uh, invasion. I'm going to let you run with the ball and tell, tell us about both those uh, incidents. Roger. So uh, I was a boat company commander out of California. Talk about the, the Gulf War first. Well, the uh, they sent a lot of our equipment. We got all the shots for the Gulf War, and we were supposed to be a part of that. Uh, but then when they started flooding the Gulf with oil, that took out uh, our participation Um so I did, we did not get to deploy to the Gulf War, but we got all the shots, you know. And uh, Yeah. Uh, but I got to go there afterwards, you know, for a different, different mission, but um, that's another story. But after after that, coming out of command, I got, uh, there was one, you know, I got selected to go to uh, Fort McPherson, Georgia, Forces Command. Um, and and uh, that's where I went, that's where I was there in, in, in Georgia. My first time going in there to Conyers, you know, I'll take a break and say hello to all of our pro- folks and friends and family there that we that uh, we met and and enjoyed being with there in Conyers, Georgia, and Atlanta area. Uh, about that time, I think Panama happened. We took out Noriega, and then they needed um, uh, call them LNOs, um, liaison officers. So there was two of us that got sent to. Panama, after they took out Noriega to help with the nation building 
we did uh, medical exercises, they call them, and uh, dental exercises where we're providing health care and dental care for the population there in Panama. So I got sent down there. Uh, we rebuilt some of the road networks. So uh, that's what I was doing down there in Panama. Um, some of the prettiest place I've ever been, but I haven't been back since. It was a real tough place. You know, it was a real tough place. If people want to know what, uh, you know, uh, what desperation is, you know, that's one of the places that I would say. And uh, again, I haven't been back there since because there was no middle class when I was there. It was all upper class or, you know, or, or uh, just just poverty. Just it was just a tough place, and it just opens your wow. eyes, opens your eyes up. Made you glad to be from the United States of America. Cool, good stuff. That is that is correct. That is correct. All right. Um, that, I know from there, correct. from there, you went to one of your, um, not exactly your favorite places, the Pentagon. Tell me about that. Roger, I was working, you know, I was working for a general, and he said, Does it, it's not a matter of where you're, it's not a matter of when you're going. It's, yeah, it's not a matter of where you're going for your next assignment. It's when. We were at Army Ball, and we told my, told my wife that. She wasn't too happy about it, but um, <laughs> that's where we were going. We were going to Washington, D.C., because that's where he was going. And so he, he took uh, took me, and and uh, I was assigned uh, to the operations side, and I wound up being a force management officer for a couple of years, uh, where I managed the Army Reserve watercraft and transportation, uh, infrastructure, r- railroads, trucks. So I had it all. And then uh, about two years into that job, you see, I, I went to Commander General Staff School, and then I didn't do a full assignment, so I had to go back to the Pentagon, and then I wound up doing budgeting during the Clinton administration. I worked on the president's budget for, for two years. We talk about, you know, go back to reference and uh, making yourself valuable to, uh, to an organization and learn something. I was not a budget officer, didn't know anything about budgeting. But, uh, you know, I got assigned with it and took it on, you know, and uh, I did okay. I did actually did okay doing that job, and uh, I'll I'll leave it at that. And then from there, there, I I think Stop Loss came along, and I I requested a terminal assignment back in in, in Fort McPherson, Georgia, in Conyers, so my kids could go to high school or they went to middle school. That was important, and return back to our church community, return back, you know, to, to Forces Command. I, I wanted to do that, come back to Atlanta and uh, finish out my career. And so that, that's what we did. That's how we wanted back there in Conyers, Georgia, okay. working at Fort McPherson. And then, I, again, I was uh, doing force management. I was a force management team chief down there, and then I retired. And, because I wasn't going back to Washington, D.C. I got selected to go to the Joint Staff, and I told my boss I was not going to go back. I'm going to just retire. And then they said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know yet. They said, we want you to continue doing what you're doing. So that's what I did. And that started me on a career path in the uh, GS world, civil service world, um, where I you know, continued to stay at Fort McPherson. And then they closed. They were going to close Fort McPherson, and I didn't want to go to Fort Bragg, so... I took a job at 3rd Infantry Division, um, worked for General Kukolo there at, uh, at uh, Savannah, Georgia, there at Fort Stewart. Absolutely loved it. It's close to my home here in Charleston, so mm-hmm. that's what I did. 
And then right. General, Abrams, General Abrams came in, and then I went to, I wound up going back to Fort Bragg, just uh, civil service, you know, working in logistics, working in force management, working in readiness, uh, just doing, you know, you do what you do. Okay, let me ask you something. You, uh, you were that fond of the Pentagon, and I understand why, and, and I think it'd be real interesting for the folks to get your opinion. Uh, go ahead. Tell us about the Pentagon. Well, my, if you, anybody asked me what my best, you know, what my favorite assignment was, I said they all were, as long as I was with troops. I liked being around soldiers, uh, airmen, Marines. I just like being with troops, like being with soldiers. And I can't tell you what the best assignment is. People say it's your command, it's this, it's that. I said it's when I was with troops. Ask me what my worst assignment was. I'll tell you it was in Washington, D.C. I just I just <laughs> didn't like it. I didn't develop the taste for it. Um, a lot of politicians, both in leadership and stuff, and everybody's enamored. With, I would say not everybody. A lot of people enamored with their positions and titles and who they work for, and they would remind you of that. Do you know who I work for? I... You know, shoot, man. I, 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 I work for, you know, the soldiers. That's what I, I'm an old soldier. I'm a son of a soldier, and that's the way that I was brought up, you know, and to, to see that, you know, to be quite honest, to see a lot of the leadership there involved in politics just gives me a bad taste, and I'll leave it at that. Well, I can understand that. I think a lot of people understand that today. Um, we'll tell you, too, I don't talk to many people that... Uh, like Washington D.C. these days, so <laughs> it's contagious, I guess you want to say. You know, I'm going to go back to when you were getting prepped to go to the Gulf War uh, because you were getting the uh, watercraft ready to go, and most people don't understand why you were going to get all these landing craft ready and did not go. Uh, tell us why you were going to go with the watercraft and. Um, uh, explain exactly what was going on. From, from what we understand, this, we, they were going to use the watercraft as a, a muse. As a, as, as a, we were going to take the watercraft and run them up into Kuwait, right there at the at the edge of the beach there, it looked like, and make it look like an assault. You know, um, that's what we understood. You know, that's what I found out to understand. To understand. And so that's why they took the watercraft, took all our equipment, gave us the shots, and then that's what we were going to do. But what happened is Saddam Hussein started flooding the Gulf with oil. And so when you do that, you can't take the landing craft to the beach because it, it, uh, the oil gets into the impellers and it, it pretty much deadlines your equipment. So therefore you can't make a beach assault or even fake a beach assault. So therefore yeah. we got turned off the, we got, we got turned off the deployment list. So, yeah, um, that's what I think that's, yeah, that, I think that's what people need to understand that the watercraft is just like the Marines hitting the beach. That was going to be a fence. In other words, a fake attack to draw them off as our troops came up from uh, Saudi Arabia, I suppose. Uh, that's, that's, that's correct. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. Uh, okay. You went to, uh, I know that you went to Fort Stewart. You went to Goose Creek, South Carolina. Fort Bragg, uh, Fort Gordon, anything you want to tell us about your service in those locations? Yeah, I, I, my last assignment was four years uh, working in a training environment. That was the only time I was in a training environment. 
um, I got uh, I got selected. Uh, General Warren Patterson uh, wanted me to come up there, and, and uh, I was the chief logistics there at at, uh, at Fort Gordon there at the Army Signals Center in school. And then they were going to become. Uh, he was fighting to become the uh, you know the cyber center of excellence, the cyber school, and we would teach all services in addition to, you know, maintaining the uh, signal school. So at one, you know, almost uh, 36, 3,800 students at any one time from all over the world get a lot of international students. So um, we were updating facilities, building secure classrooms. I had about $980 million worth of construction. So that was my last assignment. You know, that's... you know, I thought that was a good time. Uh, two, 1976, 2016, that'd make 40 years. I gave him a year's notice about that was about it. I was going to return home and I was going to retire. And so that's how I finished up my career proudly with uh, the, the uh, Army uh, Cyber Center of Excellence there at Fort Gordon. Still got plenty of good soldiers there and, and, uh, and, uh, and sailors and Marines. We, we taught all different services, taught international students. I, I just enjoyed my time there. I enjoy my time just about everywhere, other than that one place we mentioned. <laughs> All right. Now, yeah. what was the for you, you? You said you got out of uniform on a Friday and reported as a civilian with a coat and tie on uh, on the following Monday. Was that a big transition for you after your, your you were? 20-year Army veteran, you've been around, you love the Army so much, and then all of a sudden you're a civilian wearing a coat and tie. Was it a big transition, or did you just fall in line with it? You know, I'm a soldier. You do what you... You know, you lose... To me, you lose some credibility when you take the uniform off. I mean, if that's, you know, the transition, you know, that's okay. You know, there's something about being a soldier. There's something about wearing the uniform. Um, makes you just a little more prouder, you know. And uh, when you take that uniform off, it's it's sad, you know, because you get up in the morning, you know what you what color you're going to wear. You know, it makes it real easy because you just got to go do your job. You know, no matter what your job is, you know what service you're in, you know you're going to get up in the morning and you're going to put a uniform on, and you know who you work for. You know, it's really really easy. The, being in the military to me is one of the easiest jobs and one of the proudest jobs you can ever have. You know, then on that Monday and, and subsequent days, I got to go out and buy a suit and I got to figure out what color tie I'm going to wear. If it's going to match, you know, <laughs> you know, and that's different. I mean, you, this this the truth. I mean, that, if there's any adjustment, that's the adjustment. Is I got to lay a uniform out. I got to lay a I got to lay a a tie out. I got to lay it. You know, what color shirt I'm going to wear. You know, shoot, being a soldier, you get up, you're going to wear whatever the uniform of the day is. Just pretty simple. Yeah. You know, to me, pretty simple. So I'm shoes and let's go. I think that's a good point right there. Uh, that was your transition. It was a little bit difficult for you saying, shoot, I got to lay out my, my civilian clothes now. Uh, I think that will help folks maybe understand the difficulty of, um, especially the Vietnam veterans. We were in the field fighting for our lives one day and the next day we're on the streets of San Francisco. We don't we didn't have any shutdown time. We didn't have any time to reflect. Um, you had twenty good years and you had a weekend basically to say, shoot, I'm out of that uniform, I gotta transition now and you knew that. But I, I would imagine some of these soldiers coming home from combat 
just transitioning back to civilian life has to be tough. Um, I know it was for me. Did you have any experience with some of your, I know a bunch of your buddies uh, from the Citadel were in war. Do you know that they had uh, a little bit of difficulty with that? The transitioning back. Yeah, that uh, that uh, that have a difficult that have a difficult time with a transition. Time you know, to break. You're, you're spot on. I, I had a skill that was still desirable um, to the to the military, um, and they, you know, I'm very lucky. I'm very blessed to be able to do yeah, that. Yeah. All right, we're going to our uh, last break, folks. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Before we go to that break, I want to add to something that uh, you just said, Pete, the transitioning back. And this is why Warriors to Citizens is such a fantastic organization. And uh, they, with um, St. Jude's, are putting on the Warriors number four hope dot events this uh, tomorrow, as a matter of fact, Friday or not tomorrow. I'm sorry, Friday. And uh you know, just like you said, it is a big tr- uh, transition, and uh, having to pick that tie can be tough, especially when you're an 11 Bravo, 11 Bush. Uh, anyway, um, I want to remind everybody that uh, is listening, if you're coming back in from deployment, there is a place that you can turn, and it's called Warriors to Citizens, Warriors to Citizens, and uh, look them up. And they're a great organization. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Lee Greenwood, and I am so proud that the Warriors for Hope group has asked me to host their first annual fundraising event to benefit St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen on January 28th. I'm looking forward to some very impressive people talking to us about social responsibility and the need to help worthy people with long-term physical or psychological issues. It's going to be a great show with a great cast, I promise. And hey, I might even sing. Go to Warriors for Hope website to register and donate to support our cause. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, folks, we're uh, back with Lieutenant Colonel Will Coleman, Citadel graduate. Served his country 40 years, 20 in uniform, 20 in civil service. You know, Will, we were talking about uh, you wanted to get across to the young folks, learn something, learn something. Would you recommend the military for a young person not knowing what to do? I, I do it every day. I mean, if given an opportunity, if a if a, a young man or woman is trying to find their way, man, what a great way to learn! What a great way to see the United States and, and get get somebody else to pay for uh, for your skill. You know, uh, you I go. do that, and I highly encourage that. You know, it worked worked out well for me, and worked out well for a lot of others that I know. You know that uh, that I tried to steer along the way. A lot of times. You know, you just don't know. You just don't know what you want to do. You know, and uh, 
that was for me. I knew that I didn't want to stay there working in the Conoco gas station because that's what was around the corner. So, and I, I, I went into the family business. That's all I knew. Yeah. You know, you, uh, uh, I know this from a fact because I have called you and you mentored uh, a, a young girl that I knew that was coming up to the Citadel. Uh, explain exactly what you do as a mentor of these young kids going to the Citadel. Um, and I know you did a fantastic job because that girl was scared to death going up there, and, and she said, I just fell in love with Will Coleman and his family. So uh, you got a secret there, Will. Tell, tell us your secret about your, your being a mentor to these young kids. Sure. If I, if I get to talk to them like I did with Ray and a lot of these others, talk to them before they set foot on the you know, at the school, what to expect, you know, and, uh, you know, each, everybody's got to pull their own weight. You're part of a team. It's no longer me anymore. It's just like being a soldier. It's just like being an airman or a Marine. You're part of a team. Your success depends on your team's success. I tell everybody, I tell anybody that's coming there, and we're there to help them along the way, try to help and guide them. And, you know, um, this is not a regular school. But you can really exceed, you know, you, you can really succeed and exceed there, whether you go into the military or not. What we do is, is I just try to mentor them around there and try to have a, a place for them to uh, put their head down and get away from that uh, military life if, if, if they want. So uh, my wife and I, have, you know, opened our home up to numerous cadets and their families over the years and uh, try, try to be there for them. I'm not their mom or dad. I don't intend to be that. Um, and that's that's what's important. We try to steer them in the right direction. If they need a a little talking to, we'll do that too. And I've and I've done that. Parents have asked me to hey step up here. I won't interfere with the. If you get in trouble at school, we don't. I don't interfere. I've had you know students get in trouble, and parents call me and said, well Johnny got in trouble. You know, hey that's Johnny's got to learn to suck it up. He made a mistake. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to interfere with the school. I, I have a tremendous love of the school, and I'm not going to do that. You know, you make a mistake, it's up to you. You're an adult now. You know, you you succeed, we succeed. The team succeeds. You know, uh, you know that's what we're here for, and that, that's pretty much what we do. Just give them a place to stay. Try to, you know, encourage them. That's that's what we try to do. Yeah, that, that's a something good you do. I mean, I, I'm very proud of you. Very, very proud have you as my friend you've done an excellent job with these young cadets will and i thank you for that uh thank you the first that's okay the first woman when did the citadel accept the first woman you know that um golly um it, it was a long time ago i i know that was that shining faulkner thing was the first time because she kind of tricked her way in and you know, a lot of politicians got involved, and anyway, she didn't make it. She wasn't the right person, but I know that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, you see Nancy Mace on TV all the time now. She They, they credit her with being the first woman graduate, you know, of the, of the Citadel. You know, uh, you know, they, as long as they pull their own weight, you know, it, it's been, uh, you know, that's all I care about. You know, lady, yeah, I, don't think, I have to yeah, look I that one up. That's okay. I know when you went, there were no women there, right? Unless you call bagpipers, they wear kilts. We used to call them girls. You know, I had one of my roommates, but, you know, that was the closest thing you're going to get to a girl was a bagpiper. You know, <laughs> anybody who's listening to that, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. We called them our girls. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's the first time I heard that, Will. That's great. Yeah. Then, um, yeah. 
you know, now, well, there, there's hardly anything that I know of that the uh, ladies can't do in the Army. Uh, very few things. Uh, I think the door's been wide open to the to the ladies. Uh, right. In, in the Army, they opened it up, you know, the combat arms uh, to, 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 to the females. Um, I know they've had a couple of graduates, uh, female graduates out of Ranger School. They were West Pointers, you know, signed yeah. a rifle company. You know that's 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 pretty a good accomplishment. One of our uh, recent uh, one of my mentees, kind of sort of, she went to uh, combat arms. I tried to talk her out of it, but she wanted to be a tanker. So you know, we went to see her there at uh, Fort at uh, Fort Benning, Georgia, and now she's over in Germany. She signed to the, to the first armor division there. And, she got deployed out there to Germany. She's out there for a while. But, uh, yeah, they get, they can go into, uh, you know, attack air. They can, you know, in the Air Force and Navy, they can, you know, they can do anything. You know, they, they can do anything. More power to them. I'm, yeah. I'm not a politician. I, I, I'm a soldier. So I salute them. You know, that's a that's decision that's made well beyond me. So I just support whatever the, you know, leadership says. I'm, yeah. a, I'm old school. Yeah, so she became a tanker, huh? Yep, she's a tanker. Yeah. Well, I, I know I interviewed a uh, World War II veteran. I think I've said this before, but uh, <clears throat> Freeman Barber told me that he was with the soldiers at the uh, the Ebb River when they, you know, met up with the Russians in World War II, and Russian tanks were pulling up to the river there, and they watched the crews get out of the Russian tanks, the T-37s, and all of a sudden, uh, females started getting out of the tanks. The Russians had female tankers in World War II, and all the GIs are going, look, there's women over there. And uh, then they got a good look at the Russian women, and Freeman said, we wouldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole. So <laughs> I'm sure things have changed since then. Now, a lot of people don't know, Will, uh, when you go to the Citadel, you can choose the branch of service you're going in, but I did not know that you could go to the Citadel and not have to serve in the military. Is that correct? Um, that's that's correct. When you know, when I was there, I think a, close to half of everybody took commissions in one branch or another, or the guard, or the reserve, or whatever. But so you could choose what branch you wanted to go into. Um, at the Citadel, you have to you have to take um, ROTC. When when I was there, you had to take four years of ROTC, whether you commissioned or not, or took a contract or not. And uh, I think now you have to take three years of ROTC. Uh, even, even if you don't take a commission, um, you still have to take a ROTC and be integrated into Corps of Cadets unless you're a veteran student. The veteran students don't have to wear the uniform, um, and uh, they get to go to classes and stuff like that. We have no, other, we have no other civilians other than going into the, uh, the night school, business schools, and so forth. So to go to the Citadel as an undergraduate, you, got, you have to be integrated into Corps of Cadets. You have to take ROTC. Uh, unless you're a, a veteran student. You know what, it would hurt a lot of these young people to take some type of ROTC, learn how to say yes sir, no sir, and how to uh, take orders and also how to give orders. Would you agree with that, Will? Um, yeah, I agree. You know, we've lost some center of respect, if you will. and Yeah. You know, the Citadel's not for everybody, and I've always, I tell that to, to folks, I tell that to parents, you can't make your kids go there. You know, my sons didn't go there, they wanted to pursue different, you know, degrees, and 
And so you can't force your kids to go there. And it's, it's a tough place. It still is a tough place. Um, but you learn a little bit about respect. You learn a little bit about honor and duty uh, when when you go to a place like that. I found it very easy to go to school because they're going to tell you where you're going to, when you're going to eat, when you're going to sleep, when you're going to study. You know, we were restricted to campus, and you know, I wasn't. Um, and I said, I, I didn't finish well in high school, so I knew I had to apply myself. Um, so I studied. I, I wasn't the sharpest-looking cadet, and uh, my roommate will tell you that. I was a grode, if you will. That's what they call us. I, I mean, I look like I shine my shoes with Hershey bar. But my grades were better, a lot better than he is. His. He looked really good. Um, um, you know, and we always laugh about it. You know, that I didn't want to stand next to Chris Coley. Because he always looked good, you know, and I told him that, you know. But he'd stay up all night, shining, shining brass, shining shoes, and I'd stay, I'd stay up studying. So, anyway. oh, that's great. That's a- all right, Will. Uh, forty years, forty years serving your country. I think you retired in what, two thousand sixteen? Two thousand and sixteen. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, give me some of your final thoughts about your service in military. Uh, I'll let you roll with the ball here for about a minute or two. Okay, I, I love. There's something about serving your country. You know that uh, a lot of people don't get that, don't get that honor, don't get that privilege, and it is a privilege. You know, not everybody can serve, and uh, and I, I take that, I take that oath very seriously. Uh, I take that, that privilege very seriously. You know, that, that's something special to be able to serve your country and to wear that uniform and to wear it proudly, and and I. I honor anybody that uh, that has served or continues to serve, you know, in that in that capacity. There's something special uh, about wearing that uniform and and being able to be a part of that team, America's team. Yes, yes, sir. I, I do. Uh, I'm very, very proud now that you can uh, walk through the airport and you see the troopers, sailors, Marines. It doesn't matter who they are. If they're in uniform, uh, as Vietnam veterans, I'm very proud that sometimes they get an applause. Uh, for the right. people in there, we sure didn't have that. Yep. Well, uh, yep. um, bless your heart. God bless you. I want you to tell the folks about uh, something called MPAL. I think they need to know. Uh, thanks, Pete. Um, I think December twenty seventh, two thousand seventeen. I got that. I thought I, I went to the VA. I thought I had a, a kidney stone. You know, it was right after Christmas, and they. They told me uh, all these numbers are hosed up. They did another more tests, and they came back and told me you got cancer. It's probably one of those words you don't want to hear. So since then, I've been fighting uh, a blood disorder. Now it is determined to be MPAL. Uh, they call it. I have to pull it up because I don't even know. It's mixed phenotype acute leukemia. It was just classified by the World Health Organization. So I'm fighting that. I've had the, the numerous rounds of chemo and. Uh, a lot of prayers, and I've had to have a bone marrow transplant. And going back, I was adopted, so I don't have any siblings. So I had to go on the registry, and luckily there was a donor, 10 out of 10 genetic match coming out of Europe. So I've had a lot of, you know, had a lot of work done and continue to fight. Continue to fight this day. I'll be back at Medical University on Friday for more tests. I go over about every two weeks. and uh, But I'm doing okay. You know, God gives me another day. You know, about two percent of all your leukemias fall into this mixed phenotype of uh, acute 
Pete, we got to wind it up. Okay. That's about it. I, you know, that's a bit. I fight every day. You hang in there, my friend. Uh, Thanks, sir. You, you have had a remarkable life. You're a remarkable man. Love you to death, Will. You're my brother. Always will be. Uh, folks, uh, we got to shut it down now. Thank you so much for joining us today, Will. Great interview. Cool. Th- thanks, Pete. Thanks for everybody listening, and, uh, you know, be blessed out here. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.